Hi, there we are. Uh, hey, John, can you hear me hey. all right? I can hear you just fine. All right. Um, you all, thank you for, for joining me here. I'm John Bryan, uh, West Virginia civil, right, civil rights lawyer, civilrightslawyer.com. Uh, and this is episode number 57 of, of Freedom is Scary. A lot of people have been asking me to hurry up and talk about some of the federal gun control stuff after about what a week ago, Joe Biden said what he said. So I finally got John Crump back on here from the GOA, the Gun Owners of America. And I appreciate you joining us, John. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, I, I I thought I'd start off with a, you know, a, with, with a quote here. And there's there's a lot of, of gun rights or firearms quotes from our founding fathers. And this is just one that I picked out the other day and get a chance to use. But I think it 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 pertains to what I talked about on Monday. And that is, you know, the danger of getting too much power in the hands of one person, especially somebody like Joe Biden. And that here's the quote from one of my favorite founding fathers, John Adams, 1772. There's danger from all men. The only maxim of a free government ought to be to trust no man living with power to endanger the public liberty. Now that that's John Adams uh, from 1772. And I don't know, John, if you saw, if you saw uh, my last video, but I did a really a talk that I sort of recited that I heard from Dr. Robert George on Saturday. It was fantastic. And it, and it really put an emphasis on not just the bill of rights. We shouldn't just depend on the bill of rights because, you know, we, we have these rights naturally, you know, before the bill of rights was, was enacted or was ratified, but the, the, design of the constitution itself is designed to create somebody like Joe Biden from doing something like Joe Biden's trying to do with gun control. Oh yeah. I mean, the thing is executive orders, I believe are unconstitutional, but I also believe that executive actions are actually worse than executive orders because they really have no place. Uh, there's not really a, constitutional or even like case law for executive actions there's a lot less restrictions on executive actions because they're not really you know challenged that much or done yeah there's i mean there's i mean really you don't even really understand the we depend on the supreme court now you know all right the supreme court will save our second amendment the supreme court will save our first amendment and so on and we completely forget about, I mean, those are amendments to the Constitution. The Constitution itself is the ingenious design that protects against tyrants. And that is the, the, the design itself, a separation of powers, both vertically and horizontally, to keeping the all legislative power in the hands of Congress. And then give, giving no legislative power, therefore, to the executive branch. And now up is down and down is up. And 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 just in time for a wonderful, intelligent um, president like Joe Biden. Now he has, you know, it seems like a majority of the, the legislative power that Congress is supposed to have under under the design of our Constitution. 
Yeah, exactly. There, there definitely should be a separation of powers. Uh, and I, I believe executive orders and I believe executive actions both are, violate that separation of powers because you're basically legislating and now he's telling the ATF to use their regulatory powers um, to basically pass de facto laws, kind of what they did with the bump stocks, where they rolled bump stocks for a machine gun when they weren't. And, and a lot of people back then, I fought really, really hard against that. And a lot of people are like, it's just a piece of plastic. What does it matter? Well, now we're seeing why it mattered. Now, for those of you that don't know, if, if you haven't seen in any of the other times we've talked before on these videos, John Crump is with the GOA or the Gun Owners of America. And in my opinion, they've sort of, they've taken the place where the, the NRA used to fill of really fighting hard for for our our second amendment for our, our gun rights for our, our liberty period and they've been fighting in the front lines a lot of these a lot of these battles in court and particularly they've been smart enough where the the nra hasn't really done this in the past to recognize that you have to fight for for other rights, you know, other like fourth amendment rights, because a lot, Absolutely. if not most of our gun rights are under the fourth amendment. And Absolutely. so John, John is with the GOA. And that's, if, if, if you didn't know who he was, that's, that's why, that's why I'm wanting to have him on. So. It, Absolutely. Like red flag laws is definitely a violation of like fourth and fifth amendment rights. Um, like there's lots of overlap with the second amendment and the fourth amendment, for example, and a lot of a lot of that gets lost in translation because people only care about the Second Amendment. But a lot of these a lot of these things violate more than just the Second Amendment. Like you can even look at like three D printing, for example, and code because code is free speech. And a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you know, they're banning three D printed file files. That's a violation of the Second Amendment." But that is also a violation of the First Amendment. Because there's in a lot of cases, they've already ruled that code is free speech, and those files are are free speech and they're code. But they're trying to ban them. So not only are they attacking, attacking the Second Amendment on 3D printed files, they're also attacking the First Amendment. Um, here's here's what I want to do. Let me just play a, a clip. Of, of kind of some of what Joe Biden said here six six or seven days ago. And let me get your, your thoughts on it. And then maybe then we'll just get briefly into kind of what people know as far as what what their what their Second Amendment rights are so far, according to the Supreme Court. And then uh, and then, you know, what the GOA is doing. So let me let me see if I can bring in Joe Biden. There we go. Let me know if you can't hear this. Nothing, nothing I'm about to recommend in any way impinges on the Second Amendment. There are phony arguments suggesting that these are Second Amendment rights at stake in what we're talking about. But no amendment, no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. Gun violence in this country is an epidemic, and it's an international embarrassment. I asked the Attorney General and his team to identify for me immediate concrete actions I could take now without having to go through the Congress. And today I'm announcing several initial steps my administration is taking to curb this epidemic of gun violence. 
Much more need be done, but the first, first, want to rein in the proliferation of so-called ghost guns. These are guns that are homemade. During my campaign for president, I wanted to make it easier for states to adopt extreme risk protection order laws. They're also called red flag laws. These laws allow a police or family member to petition a court in their jurisdiction and say, I want you to temporarily remove from the following people any firearm they may possess. To close the Charles, what's known as the Charleston loophole. Like people here, I spent time down at that church in Charleston. If the FBI hasn't, com didn't complete the background check within three days, there's a process. If it wasn't done in three days, according to Charleston loophole, you get to buy the gun. They bought the gun and killed a hell of a lot of innocent people. Reauthorize the Violence Against Human Act, which is so-called close the boyfriend and stalking loopholes to keep guns out of the hands of people found by a court to be an abuser and continuing threat. The idea that we have so many people dying every single day from gun violence in America is a blemish on our character as a nation. I am under no illusions about how hard it is. All right. Well, good thing. Good thing that guy's not on the Supreme Court, first of all. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, what were, he talked about a couple different things there. Uh, you know, the, the thing that sticked out to me the most, stuck out to me the most was when he said, you know, no, no amendment, no constitutional amendment is absolute. I don't know what, um, and I can get to that, but what were your thoughts after you, you heard that mess? Uh, the, the first thought I had was when is he going to push, um, the FBI, ATF, whoever to prosecute his son for lying on the 4473. That's the first thing I want. I wondered because his son did lie on the 4473. I mean, that there's no doubt about that. Um, if you don't know, uh, he bought a gun while he was abusing drugs. And he marked that he was not uh, an illegal user of drugs, and he was using drugs at the time. So, when is he going to push the son, his the prosecution of his son? The second thing I, I, that that I thought of was a lot of people on like the far left, which I consider the people controlling him to be on the far left, because this is coming from other people, not just him. They have this thought that the Constitution is a living, breathing document that can be changed at any time without actually changing it just by saying, oh, we need to adapt it to the times. So we're going to consider this, that, or whatnot, which I don't think is actually very smart. And I don't think there is anything in history that says that's the way it should be viewed. We always hear them say when, when the Constitution was written, people only had muskets. And it brings up two points. First, when the Constitution was written, there was more than muskets, but that's beyond the point. Muskets were a weapon of war, and they're trying to ban weapons of war. Well, at the time, the weapons of war was what everyone had. Second, if 
it only applies to stuff that was around during the founding of the constitution that means anything written on a typewriter or anything else is not covered by free speech you know it doesn't yeah, make that's a great that's a great point to some of these some of these so-called journalists that all right all right let's point out your double standard if if we're only allowed to have flintlocks because that was what was around in 1789 and 1790 then you're only allowed to have what you know you uh, the 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 printing presses that take up like this entire room with the big block letters and quill pens and you know ink that you have to import from Europe. I mean that you know if we're if if the Second Amendment is limited to that, then you're you know the First Amendment's going to be limited to that as well, which which it obviously isn't. So that you know and they don't they don't have any good comeback from that. Yeah, exactly. They don't. And they usually try to skip over a bunch of stuff like the weapons of war question when you point out, hey, well, you know, the Second Amendment was guaranteeing the people rights to have so-called weapons of war because muskets is what they have. Not only that, um, there was um, a the case of the semi-automatic shock, not semi-automatic shotgun, sorry, the sawed-off shotgun from right after uh, the NFA went into effect, where somebody tried to sue because they wanted to have a like a, a two-inch shotgun or something crazy like that, and the courts ruled because that had no no um, no use in actual combat that it wasn't covered under the second amendment. And now we go from that to, you know, weapons that are like have combat proficiency or weapons that can be used in combat are not covered under the second amendment. I don't get it. You know, the, you know, so for those of you who don't know, really our, our second amendment has only been really given to us or extended to us by the Supreme Court in the case of District of Columbia versus Heller from 2008. Now, the Heller case is really, I mean, you have to read the Heller case if you're going to understand what Second Amendment law is at this point. And Heller actually went into, you know, a lot of these things, some of, some of what you're talking about, you know, Here's here's what you know Scalia wrote wrote Heller and he he mentioned what you're talking about that yeah the people had what were used as weapons of war at the time the constitution was ratified or at the time the second amendment was drafted but it's but they didn't have these technological weapons of war he he drew a distinction between what the citizens possessed at that time and the type of weapons that the citizens possess now. So I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, because the, you know, under under Scalia's reasoning, because the people possessed flintlock rifles and flintlock muskets in 1789, you know, those were that just happened to be used as weapons of war. Um, so, but, but they already had them in their possession. Whereas now the regular folks out there don't have fully automatic M16s, for instance, in their, in their widespread possession. And those are weapons of war, but they don't have them in their possession and in their possession. So, you know, he sort of drew a difference of, well, back then our, 
our military capabilities were just bringing the people together and forming them into a militia, and they were already armed with these weapons they already had. Therefore, the Second Amendment applies to those weapons that they already had. Um, but we can't say now all, all the citizens are entitled to use any automatic rifle that the military uses because although they are, you know, they are arms to be bared as the second amendment meant, they're not in widespread common ownership and usage by the general public. That that's the dichotomy yeah. that he drew that, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, well, but that that's what he said. Well, even if you go by what Scalia said, um, about uh, like common and widespread use uh, they want to ban like ar-15s and stuff and there's 20 million ar-15s in the united states uh there's i think uh 320 million uh american adults so there's um basically a huge percentage of american adults that own AR-15s, and if you look at the number of AR-15s in circulation compared to the number of adults, you you have to consider them common. They're more common than a hunting rifle at this point. If you if you actually read the text of Heller, it makes it makes a wonderful case for extending the Second Amendment to us being able to own according to the Supreme Court, AR-15 style rifles. He, he yeah. makes, he sets that up and that obviously wasn't an issue in Heller. And that's gonna, that, that needs to happen, but he, he sets it up. He sets it up. Um, and I have, I have some excerpts of, of, of Heller, but you know, it, it just shows you anytime you hear a politician such as Joe Manchin has done this or, our FUD Rhino Governor Jim Justice has done this. These idiots equate the Second Amendment with hunting. They just do that. That's it with hunting. And when they do that, you know, it's like Jim Justice. I have a video somewhere of him talking about. Well, I, I support the Second Amendment. You know, my bird dog, Lady Birds. I I love that dog. I love that dog. But you know. You know, just to say that anybody should be able to go go get a gun, I don't agree with that. And you hear something like that, and you know that this man has never read the most important case in in firearms rights history from the Supreme Court, or, or most important case ever handed down by the Supreme Court, and that's DC versus Heller. You know he hasn't read that case because it says nothing about bird dogs. It implies nothing about bird dogs or hunting. I've never hunted in my life, for example. <laughs> and and you know if if these people would just read this opinion, DC versus Heller, two thousand eight, they would learn so much. And you know I have some excerpts here. Uh, you know? Well, here here's the thing: it's not that they don't read it; it's just that they choose to ignore it in a lot of cases. Could definitely agree with what they think. Well, you know, you, you're in Virginia, not West Virginia, so you you haven't been subjected to the <laughs> the uh, COVID updates that that we get over here from from our governor. So, I think you disagree with me. I I can guarantee you, I would bet a million dollars that he has not read it. 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'm his, not lawyers, his lawyers have read it for sure. But he yeah, has I'm not, not talking about just him. I'm talking about a lot of people on the anti-gun side. Yeah, they, they just don't care. Um, before I get to you know, specific excerpts from Heller that I think are important, let, let me show you. I was looking at an auction website, uh, one of the big firearms auctions uh places that not just antiques, but also they, they auction all sorts of modern firearms, class three stuff, a lot of interesting things being auctioned right now. You know, for instance, people think you can't own an M60 or a fully automatic belt fed, you know, MG 42 German machine gun. And people are buying and selling these things for ginormous amounts of money as we speak pretty much. But there's also some interesting historic firearms being auctioned right now that I just took a couple screenshots because you know, I think it's interesting. You know, you, you have Heller that, that states that, you know, if it was a firearm that was a, of common type of ownership at the, at the time of the second amendment, that, that it's protected or that it, 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 uh, you know, invokes the second amendment protections. Now, I don't know that that they completely understand you. Know, people have people think that there were just single shot you know, flintlocks around, and that's just not the case. No. The other thing that even courts such as the Ninth Circuit said the other day in their Young versus Hawaii case is that you know it wasn't meant to protect people carrying firearms with them, concealed or otherwise, and that's just a bunch of crap. I think that's a terrible, terrible decision, and hopefully. Uh, it will get appealed and one on a pill. Let me show you just a couple of the interesting things that I saw. Take a look at this. Look at that. A uh, a volley gun. There's a flintlock, 18th century. What is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven shot. Hey, if you want to have seven shots in the 18th century, there's an easy solution to that. You just have seven different barrels. So there's a seven seven barrel 18th century assault rifle that any peasant could own if he had enough money to own um, from from the 18th century. Here is you know you go into the 19th century and you see all sorts of crazy stuff because we you know we 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 civilians private companies were inventing things like crazy trying to make guns that shot faster and reloaded uh, more quickly. And look at this. You have all these Gatlin type guns, you know, from the United States, from the 1800s, starting in like the 1850s through like the 1880s. Yeah. And, and check out that one. I hadn't seen that before. Gardner mechanical rapid fire two barrel gun. I mean, we yeah, talk about cool. we have first pro first world problems now. We didn't have first world problems initially. We had real problems that required actual firepower. And we had inventors that would come up with this stuff and there was no there was no prohibition ever until like what 1934 on any any american citizen buying any kind of military developed firearms that were on the market although you can still get gatling guns and they and they don't fall under um the nfa of machine guns which a lot of people don't realize because the 1954 ruling which, um, from what I hear, is one of the, I actually wrote an article about it, is one of the things that uh, David Chipman, who is Biden's ATF director and nominee, 
wants to go after trigger cranks and stuff like that and wants to reverse the ruling the 1954 ruling uh, about gatling guns yeah that that's a pressing problem right now we really need to you know we really need to to do that yeah, my here's, question here's was, how many how many crimes have been committed with a trigger crank or a gatling gun <laughs> you know well, that depends if you include video games or not, because <laughs> I've seen my 13-year-old son, you know, absolutely, you know, commit crimes against humanity and and Red Dead Redemption 2, if you know that video game. Yes. You know, where you're in the Wild West. And, and if, when he gets a hold of, of a Gatling gun in that game, I mean, he talk about a domestic terrorist. He, I mean, he absolutely terrorizes the Wild West. But it's you know, outside of video games, I, I, I'm not aware of one happening. And if you like Gatling guns, in this one of these auctions I was looking at, and this is I think Rock Island auctions, they have all sorts of amazing machine guns and and then stuff going back to the 1600s that they're selling. And, you know, I think coming up in in May and in, in some of their auctions, but. Uh, there was a there's different kinds of gatling guns i showed you you know, some of those some of those different styles but there was like a gatling gun gatling gun like like you like you're used to seeing like you pictured like you or at least i pictured when i was a kid i had a little mini gatling gun that my father had bought me at a gun show but there's one for sale and so that's great if you you don't have to buy a $200 tax stamp and and wait to to buy it you can just buy it now and not have to worry about the aft but you know, it's only like seventy-five thousand dollars. That that's it. So, you know, if you've got seventy-five thousand dollars and you want to get around the 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 NFA rules, well, it, you can buy one right now. Yeah, uh, that would be nice. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever shot one of? The, have you ever shot a Gatling gun? Like yes. A crank gun. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I have shot it. Uh, they're incredibly fun. You've got to get the rhythm down. Just tune and turn at the same rhythm, and it's they're, they're a lot of fun. I uh, did that out in Vegas. Do you think it was was? Do you think it would have been at least for the time completely unpractical, impractical to roll around with a Gatling gun? I mean, to use, I guess, to use, to use in warfare, you know, warfare of the time. I mean, I guess you've got to get it there uh, with a horse, but I mean, no, was it no. accurate? Let me ask you that. Was, I mean, could, could you actually hit what your aim or are you just throwing lead? Oh, I mean, it was uh, like a, it was like a 20 yards. <laughs> at that point, you're going to hit, you're going to hit it. I didn't try it at any type of uh, distance. But I, I believe it, you probably would be able to cut down um, some people or, or at least break the lines by throwing, by throwing uh, lead down range. Going back to, to Heller, just, just briefly, the, you know, I mean, some, I, there's a lot of, of really great excerpts that, that can be used out of there. I mean, here's, here's a couple of them that I pulled out. And again, this is from Scalia. Putting all these textual elements together, we find that they guarantee the individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. So not hunting, confrontation. 
This meaning is strongly confirmed by the historical background of the Second Amendment. We look to this because it has always been widely understood that the Second Amendment, like the First and Fourth Amendments, codified a pre-existing right. The very text of the Second Amendment implicitly recognized the pre-existence of the right and declares only that it shall not be infringed. So that that's another another thing that the politicians completely ignore or don't understand is that the Second Amendment didn't create this new right for us to be able to bear arms, to possess no. firearms that we didn't already have. It just protected it against this new federal government that these states were creating and agreeing to. Yeah, I, I call the Bill of Rights a uh, document of negative liberty. It's not because it's negative liberty for you or I, but it's a document of negative liberty for the federal government. It's saying, don't you dare uh, infringe on this right because you didn't get this right and you don't have the ability to infringe on this right because this right is not from you. You know, and again, in that you have to, and Scalia did this, you have to look at the Second Amendment in the context of, of, of the time. And originally, it only applied to Congress. It only applied to Congress, and that's because you already had these 13 sovereign colonies, these, these, these sovereign states, that they had won their independence, and they didn't have to, they didn't have to agree on anything. You know, they could have just been their own, any of them been their own country. They didn't have to agree to create this United States. And one of the worries was of, of the, the founding fathers and their respective colonies was that, look, if we agree to join this United States, what happens if Congress disarms our people and then they're helpless at the mercy of this new federal government that we've created? And Scalia says in Heller, he recognizes this. He says that in the tumultuous decades of the 1760s and the 1770s, that the crown, the English crown, began to disarm the inhabitants of their most rebellious areas. And that provoked polemical reactions by Americans invoking their rights as Englishmen to keep arms. A New York article of April 1769 said that it's a natural right which the people have reserved to themselves confirmed by the Bill of Rights to keep for their own defense. And the, the fact is, is that where I lost it there, the uh, anti-federalists specifically were worried. The anti-federalists feared that the federal government would disarm the people in order to disable the citizens' right to be able to form this, these militias. And that would enable a politicized standing army or a select militia to rule the country. The response to get these states, these, these colonies to join this United States was to restrict or deny Congress the power to abridge this ancient right of individuals to keep and bear arms so that this ideal of a citizen's militia would be preserved. So that's right out of Heller, pages 22, all the way through pages 28. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, <sighs> so the right to keep and bear arms, not only it wasn't created by the Second Amendment, this is as per Heller, it wasn't created by the Second Amendment. We already had it. It was a natural right that that we had even before. So, you know, while it memorializes or codifies this right, the whole point was restricting Congress from what they can't do. 
they didn't think to restrict the the president because the president wasn't supposed to be doing this. Yeah, it it, it looks like the executive branch over the years have grown in power a lot more power than i think it should have there should be an equal balance of power and right now i don't think that we have an equal balance of power and with i and with biden's executive actions not only on guns but on other things as well it appears that he decided that he has more power than what the constitution grants him Yeah, Sharky says M208, Law Rocket, 50 caliber, M16A1, uh, M60. I, I I do have a uh, a place called uh, Swamp Thong Armory that is building me a, uh, restoring me like an M2. Nice. So, yeah, that's going to be a nice machine gun. Um, Bubba Smith, America's just run by mandates now. Might as well just have a president and governors. We don't need the rest of them. Yeah. Well, you know, as I explained on Monday, you know, I mean, really at this point, we'd be better off if we had a monarchy because then at least we, we had some chance that we had a king or queen that was better than, than what we have now and, and would, 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 you know, protect our rights more than, than than they're currently being protected but but uh they're not yeah, being protected at all no 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 absolutely not and i mean here's all right so going back to biden's speech he says that no amendment is what did he say that that no, no amendment, amendment is is absolute. absolute yeah all right no amendment is absolute now i don't know if he was reading a teleprompter or what i think what he meant to say or what his people wrote for him was that no constitutional right is absolute. I mean, no, no, uh, I mean, the amendment absolutely is absolute. I mean, unless the amendment is, is, uh, is changed or, or revoked, I mean, it's there. So what he meant to, is what he meant to say. And, and Heller went into the basic exceptions of, of what they said the second amendment were, even as of the date of, of the founding, the drafting of the Second Amendment. And that's the basic, uh, where is it? So there seems, let's see. All right. This is the language I think he was, his people were pointing him to. This is from Heller. Scalia wrote, there seems to be no doubt on the basis of both text and history that the Second Amendment conferred an individual right to keep and bear arms. Of course, the right was not unlimited. So it, I don't. I think he. I think that's what he meant to say. No right is 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 unlimited. Not no amendment. Not the amendment is not not absolute. Yeah. I don't so think he knows what he meant to say. No, um, no. He, you you know the handlers might have meant to say that, but I don't think he does. Yeah, you know the you know the thing. You know, yeah, like, the thing. You know, yeah, the, uh, he, he, yeah, the thing. But um, just real quickly, going back to Scalia, what he wrote, uh, he wrote, of course, the right was not unlimited, just as the First Amendment's right of free speech was not. See United States versus Williams. And everyone likes to say the, 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 the yelling fire in a theater case. Thus, we do not read the Second Amendment to protect the right of citizens to carry arms for any sort of confrontation, just as we do not read the First Amendment to protect the right of citizens to speak for any purpose. Now, the... 
so there can be restrictions on the the right to keep and bear arms according to Scalia and Heller and the the basic ones come up and the, I think is specifically what he said although we do not undertake an exhaustive historical analysis today of the full scope of the second amendment nothing in our opinion should be taken to cast doubt on the long standing prohibitions on the possession of fire, firearms by felons and the mentally ill or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings, or laws imposing conditions and qualifications on the commercial sale of arms. Now, the, the, where that leads us to is, as of today in 2021, for a long time, we already have plenty of federal gun control. It already exists. In fact, under federal law alone, there are numerous restrictions on gun possession. We have Felons, those who have been adjudicated as a mentally defective or who have been committed to a mental institution, unlawful drug users or addicts, persons who have been dishonorably discharged from the armed forces, illegal aliens, and others. It's And as you pointed out with Hunter Biden, the president's own son, it's a crime to knowingly receive a firearm. Well, he didn't do this that I know of, but it's a, it's a crime to knowingly receive a firearm with an obliterated or altered serial number, a crime to possess a machine gun, unless you have the, the adequate paperwork in place, a crime for a minor to possess a firearm, except under limited conditions, violent crimes or drug traffic, trafficking crimes uh, committed with a firearm or subject to enhanced punishments. And there are other restrictions on possessions, possession use of gun, gun laws under state laws. Right now, I mean, we have all sorts uh, we have so much gun control that already exists that one person can hardly keep track of it all. Yeah. As of March 31st, there's a little over 27 million people that are not eligible to own firearms over the age of 18 in the United States. Going and again, going back to Hunter Biden and uh, yeah. what, what I, what I meant to point out was that, you know, when you buy a gun, you mentioned the what form 4473, is 4473, the one he lied on, uh, which right. is a felony. So if you, if you've ever bought a gun, you know, from a, from a gun shop, from a gun store, from a an FFL, a federal firearms license holder, you have to fill out a form and it says, you know, are you, have you ever been convicted of a felony, you know, blah, blah, blah. You have to check all the boxes. And a couple of those boxes were actually applicable to Hunter Biden. Yeah. And he lied on that form, right? Yeah. Well, uh, one said, are you a, an unlawful user of drugs? And at the time, uh, he was smoking crack. So, yes, he was an unlawful <laughs> user of drugs. So he lied. And there's a rapper, his name uh, escapes me right now, but he was busted for uh, marijuana shortly after he had a gun, and they prosecuted him as a felony for lying on the 4473. Um, because they said, hey, you lied on the 4473. I cannot remember what his name is. Hank Strange did a video on him. But the other Biden smokes crack and you know, they don't do any, they just sweep it under the rug. Yeah. I mean, who know? I mean, um, who knew, who knew? I mean, that, I mean, heck, I didn't know that, that you can't smoke crack and then, and then go buy a, a firearm from a gun shop. I mean, heck, I could have been in trouble for that many different times. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, 
the, the funny thing is when he like I cannot I, I cannot say for sure if those pictures of the person smoking crack is me or not. And I'm thinking to myself of like, you know, if somebody said we got a picture of you smoking crack, I would laugh because I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't say I'm not really sure if that would be me or not. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not sure. It kind of looks like me, but I don't remember that crack pipe. But, you know, this, exactly. I, I would I I know I wouldn't buy a purple crack pipe. I know that. Uh so I mean that's the joke with this whole thing. And not that it's a joke, because these people know they're not really trying to keep firearms out of the hands of criminals, people who would who would commit mass murder or go out and and you know, sell drugs or or shoot police officers, whatever. I mean, that if they're going to break the law, those things that they're doing are already against numerous laws. So they're they're obviously not. They've demonstrated by virtue of the fact that they're in, in the process of committing a crime that they don't follow the laws. They don't care if it's against the law; they're going to do it, and they know that. It's it's really about disarming. I think at this point, disarming their political opposition. Yeah, I, I did see a question out there. Somebody asked me if I think they're going to come after binary triggers. Uh, I think that is on the list, but that's and if the I think it's on the top ten list of things they want to do. Um, that they that they are thinking about using regulatory powers to go after, but I think. There's about seven other things that are a little bit higher on that list that they're going to try to use regulatory powers. Yeah, there it is. So explain what are binary and similar triggers. Okay, uh, a machine gun is basically you pull a trigger and it fires multiple rounds with a single action. Pulling the trigger back, that's single action. A binary trigger like the ones made by Franklin Armory, Fostec, and, and a few others, uh, DigiTrigger. When you pull the trigger, it fires one shot. And we release the trigger, it fires another. So that is two separate actions. So it doesn't qualify as a machine gun. But it does speed up the rate of fire. They're fun. So so the the way that it's supposed to be done is if the if the Democrats want to outlaw a certain kind of trigger, what do they do? They're supposed to to do it through Congress to enact legislation. Yeah, but the, I think they're going to go after it with regulatory powers. But like I said, there's about seven other things that they want to go after. Uh, J- David Chipman in 2018 wrote a piece for Giffords. He used to work for Giffords or still does work for Giffords or whatever. But he was talking about how magazines speed up like re- detachable magazines speed up the rate of fire therefore should be classified as machine guns basically <laughs> and i'm not even making that up well it, it, part of the problem is these people i mean you have you have i mean i think it's like the difference you know it's like the difference difference between blue areas or blue states or blue counties and red counties and that kind of comes down to urban versus rural and a lot of this these ruling class types who become supreme court justices federal judges head of the fbi president of the united states these people they're all I, maybe they weren't born in in a blue district or in an urban area or a suburban area like northern virginia or whatnot 
but that's the crowd that they've that's the bubble that they've been in much much of their lives maybe they they ride on the metro they or the or the subways and they they go up and down elevators in these tall buildings they live a much different life than maybe those of us who live in the rural areas of the country and who who actually you know use guns shoot guns for fun we're familiar with guns have been hunting or not been hunting just been target shooting whatever these people that's not even a part of their life it hasn't been a part of their life for instance do you remember when james comey is testifying before congress and somebody asks him well you know is it true some i'm paraphrasing is it true that you can buy guns on the internet and, and he's like well you know i i don't know that's a good question i in he basically demonstrated that he had no idea that you couldn't just order a gun as a regular person off the internet, which you should be able to do and have it delivered to your house. Yeah, you could buy a gun off the internet, but then it goes to a gun dealer and then you got to go to that gun dealer and you got to fill out that form that Hunter Biden lied on and you got to get your FBI background check and all that. So yeah, you're buying a gun off the internet, but what the hell difference does that make? Because you're still ending up at the gun dealer. He didn't know that because he'd never bought a gun very clearly. It's just a different world than much of the country that does exercise their right to keep and bear arms and, and does have live a life where guns are, uh, are in con or, you know, is a common, a common part of their life. Like, like life used to be in 1789. Yeah. I, I, I'm born and raised in Northern Virginia Northern Virginia has not always been like that. So <laughs> I resent that comment. <laughs> well, well, um, yeah. I can argue with you about it because my wife is from Northern Virginia. Yeah, where yeah. in Northern Virginia are you, are you? I was born in Arlington. I live in Loudoun. Okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not super familiar with it, but my, my wife is from Fairfax County and she has like, umpteen brothers, five brothers, one of whom is, is worked for the government and is amazing with guns was a, was a really one of the foremost experts on using handguns in combat, specifically like Glock 19. And, and he, he's taught me, you know, a lot as far as shooting and I've never seen anybody shoot like that, but he explained to me that, look, and the, the, you know, where I grew up, my neighborhood and all that, you know, nobody taught us anything about, you know, we didn't, we weren't around guns and it wasn't until he went into that as a career that he really learned to, to love guns and, 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 uh, and learn about them, how to shoot them and, and, and all that. I mean, it just wasn't a part of life as like somebody who's in suburban Washington, DC and everyone works for the government. I mean, cause you're in DC, you don't have any right to be around guns or you hadn't in the past. Um, but I, you know, regardless of, of your, your experience, I think a, a lot of, a lot of these yeah. people, they just, they really have, have had no exposure to firearms among many other things that we well, do in rural America. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of well, growing up, I didn't, I, well, my mom used when, when we lived in Fairfax, she did use a 38 special to defend us from a home invader when I was a baby and one of the reasons why I'm so pro 2A but yeah um, a lot of my friends uh, parents and, and I really didn't grow up around guns and 
my friends really didn't grow up around guns either. So I can, I can see that. But Northern Virginia took a hard left probably within the last 20 years. Like a very hard left <laughs> within the last 20 years. Yeah, see, I had the I had the complete opposite experience. I mean, I grew up in Florida. I mean, hell, the county that I grew up in probably had six six hundred or seven hundred thousand people in it. But you know, the all of the population is just condensed on each coast in Florida, and then and then in the inland Florida, you have it's just very rural, very much like West Virginia in many places. And I grew up on the coast in, in Brevard County, but literally behind my house was nothing but swamp. I had an airboat in my backyard. I get in my airboat when I was in high school and, and, and drive right out of my backyard. So I could also shoot guns and all that. But, but, but growing up, my, my father was a, was a class three, um, you know, had a class three, uh, license with a, the federal government, whatever you call it, where he could, he could buy and sell machine guns. And he, he got into, to, to collecting machine guns. And I got to shoot all sorts of crazy stuff when I was still a kid. You know, stoners, stoner 63s, uh, you know, Thompson submachine guns, um, Minimi belt feds, uh, also, you know, you know, all sorts of World War II era uh, belt fed guns. I got to shoot a lot of things. Um, I got to go in. Uh, I don't know. I was probably I was probably like 11 or 12 in the early, early 90s. I got to go in Reed Knight's gun room in Vero Beach, Florida and hang out with him and my dad. And that was, I think, the, the most fabulous moment of my life still today at, you know, over 40 years of age. I can look back whatever whatever day that was in the 90s where I got to go in that room with machine guns everywhere. And the most awesome thing I had seen up to that point, probably since, which was the handheld minigun from the movie Predator. And so I, I had an, the opposite experience, I guess, where I was exposed to, to firearms. I mean, it, you know, it was, I was taught from a young age how to use them safely and, and trusted with the ability to, to pick up a, a machine gun by myself, load it, and you know, try to write my name in a giant dirt pile, you know, with it doing a mag dump. And, you know, I, that, that was just, that was, that's the perspective that I was, I was coming from. But, you know, if, if I encounter somebody else that had a different perspective, you know, they, they don't, they don't know anything about, I mean, they, they, there's, there's a knowledge gap there that they know nothing about firearms. They're scared of them. It's like media, you know, the, the media, they think everything's an AK-47 or an AR-15. They know nothing, absolutely nothing about them. And that's not the way it, our country was at the time the Second Amendment was drafted. I mean, every household, if they could afford them, not only had guns, but was commanded by law to have guns. I mean, that was a part of being American for, for many, many years, especially at the beginning. And we've gotten so far away from that. Yeah, Vero Beach. That that's exactly where that was in Vero Beach. I'm sorry, I'm 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 ranting here, but oh no, credit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it it it. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure what we were talking about, but I did get to go and, and read Knight's Gun Room once as a, as a kid, and you know what we were, what I got to see there is like every early, every early 
Armalite and Colt. Like he had them all lined up in in sequential order for serial number. He had like the very first serial numbers. And people don't realize that, you know, AR and AR-15 stands for Armalite on assault rifle. And the very first AR-15s were fully automatic. You oh, know? yeah. So, so uh, you know, now they're not, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the history of uh, the AR-15 is very, very um, unique. And it's very interesting. I highly recommend anyone look into it if you want to read a good story about uh ar-15s and why they were created and the oppositions to the ar-15s and how they developed over the years it's it it's very very eye-opening um eugene stoner was a was a genius and when the, he first created I'm, I'm a historian when it comes to firearms but when he first created it and and showed it off the air force was the first uh, military to actually adopt it and a lot of the army guys and marine guys they're like those are those look like space guns <laughs> because they're all like plastic and, and stuff like that it no didn't, wood. didn't the air force have some with like the blue plastic stocks or am i no no, you, no 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 you're right you're right um i don't think they've ever made it into actual combat or anything <clears> like that what was what was the what was the book you were talking about? No, um, there's there's no book. I just said if oh. if you have if you have some free time, start looking up the history of the AR-15. Yeah, do you have you uh do you have a copy of the what's it called the Black Rifle, the Black yeah. Rifle book? Yeah, yeah. When when I was a kid, my dad was going to write a, I don't know if it was like a a a sequel to that, and this was just this was I mean he was a he was a surgeon. This is just his, his hobby, really. He, he just enjoyed it. But he went, he flew out to California and he toured the remnants of the building that was the very, the headquarters where Armalite had designed the AR-15 and the, the related prototypes. And he went out and interviewed people and he took pictures of the facility. And I think we still have all that somewhere. Then he never, he never ended up following through with it. And hey, maybe if he's listening, maybe, maybe now's a good time to do that. But but uh, I, I remember he he compiled a bunch of different copies of, of the Black Rifle. And that that is a good book if you can find one. I don't know if it's still in print, but it has I don't all, think it is. Yeah, all the history of it and the different little, you know, different little types of, of M16s that they came out with. I, I don't think it's in print anymore, but you can always find copies on uh, eBay. Yeah, so I highly recommend that book, and it's sort of a picture book. So even Joe Joe Biden could read that book. It's called the uh, the Black Rifle. I don't know who who wrote it, but it everything you wanted to know pretty much about the development of the the M sixteen, the AR fifteen. Who who ironically these journalists like they think we've all we've seen the video of the journalists like shooting the AR fifteen for the first time, and it's like this traumatic event for him, and he's like ah ah, but it. It actually, the beauty of of the design is is that it doesn't kick at all. Well, that, that's just, one of the reasons why the why Stoner designed it the way he designed it, and the round that he chose is is the kick and everything else. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can give it to. I mean, 
maybe not a full, full, fully automatic, but you can give it to a child or, or a small woman to shoot. And I mean, they can put rounds on target with it. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, as opposed to like a 30 out six or something like that. I mean, that really does have some kick to it or hell as opposed to a flintlock that you can see in my, you know, in my, my intro and extra video that has a hell of, can have a hell of a kick to it and also have a small explosion next to your eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Roger, uh, when that, when that reporter came out with the whole thing, uh, he cut a video. It's probably still floating out there of the reporter, like shooting it and crying talking about how much it kicked. Then another picture of his nine-year-old daughter firing at AR. Yeah. I, somewhere I have a picture of, of my, my daughter when she was young, like, like loading, loading P mags or something, but yeah, absolutely. Little kids can shoot it now fully automatic. I mean, it, it, it can, it's not accurate at all. I mean, it's just kind of, kind of all over the place. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta learn how to control the rise, the muzzle rise. Yeah. Now, as opposed to that, I can recall my father, I think it bought an, an MG 42. And that was, if you don't know, I mean, I know, you know, but the, you know, that's what they called Hitler's chainsaw or something like that. I mean, it's a, it's a large, it's a, it's a high power round and very, very fast rate of fire. And I can remember as a kid, like shooting that for the first time, that was brutal. It was like brutal or even an M60 and M60 is like, you're not going to put a, a, a woman on that M60 and let them hold it and, and fire it very easily. I mean, they're going to have to be pretty strong, a bigger person. You definitely don't want a kid doing it. I mean, it's, it really is a brutal, a, uh, um, a lot of, a lot of kick to it. Heavy in the M16, I mean, M16 AR-15, it's just so, I mean, it's just so kind of petite and, 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 and small caliber and, and you can, I mean, very accurate. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things about the old M16s is their twist twist rate. I think we're like very high. I think they're like one in fourteen or one in sixteen or something like that. And so the bullet would tumble a lot. So even even though that they were a lot smaller caliber, they were tumbling. So they would do a lot of lot of damage. Later on, they went down to like one eleven and less than that even. Yeah, when I when I was a kid in the in the earlier '90s, I used to go deer hunting with an AR-15 just for the sole reason that it was cool. And the the really what you could buy back then are those Colt SP1s from like the '70s and the '80s, and that's what they were. Is that what like one in twelve or one in fourteen twist barrels? And they, I mean, you had to shoot like 55 grain, really small, um, rounds out of it. And, and I think a little like Japanese Colt three X scope on it. And I, I, I'd kill deer with that. And hell that was in the, that was in the early nineties before they came out with all these great accessories and, and the things that you have available now. But, you know, now they seem to have like a one to seven, one to eight twist, something like that. Yeah. most of them uh, one one to se- one eleven a one to eleven is like it, it, I don't know how high but yeah I think they were like one in twelve is the the the, the SP ones if I'm not mistaken but they used to be up, up like really high I, used, I think they were like one in fourteen when they originally came out to to and it was actually to make the bullet tumble 
Yeah. My kids were shooting 12 gauges, 10 years old, full auto M16, had no problem. Uh, Mark Miller, love black powder, not effective or anything, just be beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, I love I love shooting black powder. The, there's two things really I've I found that are really fun to shoot. One is machine guns, and then the other is black powder, like especially flintlocks. I, I get really equal fun out of shooting both of those things. And flintlocks, like you, you know, it, like Biden hasn't tried to, you know, call the AFT down on flintlocks just yet. <laughs> Probably like, will. It's coming though, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. The favorite gun I've ever fired is also my favorite gun of all time is the uh the the MP44 or also known as the STG44. I got to fire one a lot out in Vegas. I was out there uh with Rifle Dynamics. And the owner of Warrior Dynamics was like, hey, what's your favorite gun? I was like an MP44. He was like, oh, I have one. Like, no, you don't. And he brought it out. And uh, he, and the bullets on that are really expensive. The, the rounds are really expensive because they're not really used for anything anymore. So um, we went ahead and fired like a, like a full magazine th- full. And I was like, thank you so much. And he's like, load it up again so i loaded it up again and damn by the end of the day i put like a thousand rounds of really expensive ammo downrange through my favorite gun so we will always be one of my favorite gun memories <laughs> is, 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 that, is that the same thing as the, the sturm gear yeah yeah it's yeah. uh it's it, it's basically what the uh the ak is based on uh it, it it's if you look at it it looks like an ak if but you look at if you look at this most recent auction that I'm talking about, that's up right now at Rock Island auction, they have I think one or two of those, and they also have this super futuristic look looking assault rifle that the not that the the Germans came up with in World War II, I think maybe towards the end of the war. And there's one for sale, and I've actually seen this gun in person. I've seen this gun in person. I didn't hold it, but I looked at it in person and it is, it is so cool. And you'll, you'll immediately identify it. It'll, it will look familiar to you. And that's because it looks just like the laser gun that the stormtroopers have at star Wars. It was actually designed after a Nazi assault rifle. And I never, I never realized that yeah. there's one for sale in this auction right now. And it's only like a half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I think well, like the the SCG forty fours go for like a hundred grand if they're all like if they're all original. Um, Klasnikov says he didn't rip when he was alive. He said he didn't rip off the SCG forty four. He had no idea that it existed. But if you look at the two rifles, it's like yeah, um, it, he ripped it off. I know he says that he based the AK on the M1. Go pick up, uh, go shoot a original AK-47 from like the 40s and shoot an SGG-44 or MP-44, whatever you want to call it. You're going to be like, yeah, Kalashnikov had a lot. He this influenced them a lot. There, there's no way you can tell me that he he wasn't influenced by it. 
Speak, speaking of that gun, I, I think I can, I had, I saved a screenshot of it as well. I didn't put it on the, the stream yard where I could show you, but I think I have a way to do that. Let's see. Cause this, this is just really cool. All right. $375,000. I was close. There we go. Check that out. Yep. Now, what's that called? Uh, interesting thing um, while, you, while you're looking at all the information up. Um, not only did uh, Star Wars uh, use that, um, if you also notice the Han Solo's gun is also based on another German gun. FG-42, that's what it's called. Yeah. FG-42. So George Lucas took a lot of a lot of um inspiration from like german guns yeah there we go fg42 intended to be a weapon to replace all prior categories enough suppressive power to replace the machine gun agile enough to replace the submachine gun so there it is only uh only like three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars estimate <clears throat> not exactly the lightest though well, i don't see how that would <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, trial and error, I guess. Yeah, um, fortunately, from writing, I get to fire a lot of really rare guns. What, what's the, I mean, have you already told us the story as far as the, I mean, was the Gatling gun that you shot, was that the coolest gun that you've ever gotten to, sh to shoot, or or is there something more awesome than that? Uh, the FTG-44 is always going to be my favorite. The Gatling gun was cool, don't get me wrong. The Gatling gun was cool, but you know, you basically line it up and then you crank. You know, just fires. You know, you stick, the, you stick the stick on top and you fire it. So that, that I mean, that was cool, but I don't know. It just doesn't feel as cool as actually handling the gun, especially when you have someone lining it up on the target for you and everything. Yeah, and somebody. You walk up and you just turn it. The gun I really wanted to shoot was a, a Mark 19, you know, automatic uh, grenade launcher, which I, I, I've never, I've never actually gotten to shoot one. But a a friend of mine who was in the military was was he's like, oh, I can set that up, like like I'm gonna call my commanding officer or whatever, and and uh, I'll get you out there to shoot it. So he had this thing all set up and. And I was like, yeah, right. And uh, he's like, no, we're going to do it. And uh, I was like, well, hell, I want to shoot. I want to shoot one of those you know, fully automatic grenade launchers. I'll be awesome. And yeah, it fell through. Yeah, I, I, in the end, I wasn't allowed to do it. But other than that, I think my favorite gun to shoot has been an M60, just a belt-fed M60. I mean, it when you when you let loose of uh, one of my intro videos, I have I have me just going through a belt uh, with m60 it it just i mean it it's just it's just awesome especially growing up in the generation of rambo yeah i think that I've, that's been my favorite i've never shot an m60 i've shot an m249 and yeah and i've never shot one of those yeah i've i've shot a lot of guns the one gun i want to shoot and a lot of people don't understand why is a gun called the liberator which was dropped over uh, occupied France, which was like a single shot gun. 
Um, it's probably not the safest gun to shoot because chances are it's going to blow up in your hand because they're not exactly the most well-built guns, but I just think it would be cool to shoot one. Well, I know what you're talking about. I haven't shot one, but I have seen one. I've only seen one in my life, but the same guy that had the the Star Wars gun, the FG-42, also happened to have, among other things, a Liberator. And I don't know if it's also in, in that auction, but I did uh, see, I did somewhere snap a picture of it. I don't know whatever I did with it, but I, but yeah, those are those are those are pretty cool, and and we may end up going back to those to those eventually. I mean, if Biden's able to actually end up confiscating our real firearms, we'll be back to having to manufacture some sort of liberator out of out of sheet metal. Uh, I think three D printing is going to be the new the new way to go. But yeah, uh, the Liberator's really cool because uh, just because the whole entire purpose of a Liberator is you're supposed to find it, take it, go, go walk up to your nearest Nazi, shoot him, and take his gun. <laughs> so it's yeah, definitely I mean, an interesting gun. Let's see. And, and it's only... <laughs> I don't know. I know it's only one shot. I don't know if you can load more ammo into it or if it's just literally disposable, like one shot, one and done. No, they, you would have extra rounds and like the handle. But they dropped them by the thousands of our friends and not a lot survived because people thought they were junk. So there's got yeah, rid of them. There, there we go. Yeah, that, that's it. See yep, the little that, handle with the little pull down thing. Yeah, I forgot. I I'd, I'd held one. That that's my grimy fingers right there holding one. Yeah. But, so, but there are so many of them that were made. Uh, yeah, one shot forty five. You gotta love it. There's so many that were made, but not many survived. You can still pick them up uh, for a few grand, but not many people are firing them because they have a tendency to like pull off your hand you know and another speaking of uh ammo that's expensive i got to see one time a there's a guy in pennsylvania that had all sorts of great world war one stuff and among the items that he had was a i forgot what the the actual name of it is but it's a, a tank gear you know this and this german anti-tank bolt action oh. rifle yeah yeah, huge, like huge barrel, <laughs> huge caliber. Somewhere I have a picture of that that I I took, but t they shot that thing. They were telling me in order to do it, they had to have the ammo custom made, and so it was like some huge amount of money per round that they shot this thing. But I mean, obviously that that was worth doing. They also had a German field gun that they they had ammo made for as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some. Um... Yeah, there there's some people who will custom produce ammunition. Uh, you have to be worried. You have to be wary not to run afoul of the uh, ATF because if there if it's over if it's over like fifty cal or whatever, then you know they they consider it a destructive device. In fact, Chipman wants to mark fifty cal's destructive devices because he says you can shoot down helicopters with 50 cal guns but you can shoot down helicopters with any type of gun really 
And the thing is, he he claimed that in Waco they they did shoot down two next Texas National Guard helicopters with Barrett fifty cal's, which never happened. Well, it's sort of like the federal judge the other day when I was arguing in the Walker case that you know said, well, isn't AR any any AR fifteen basically selectable to be fully automatic? Isn't 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 you know shouldn't every AR fifteen be viewed by law enforcement to be fully automatic. I mean, this is just when, when you have people, not that we're supposed to have the judiciary legislating and not that you're supposed to have bureaucrats and presidents legislating, but in the, in the 2021 that we live in, they do. And some of these people have no idea what the hell they're talking about. That is correct. That is definitely correct. They don't, they don't. And a lot of people don't understand how firearms and I'll, most politicians don't understand firearms. And speaking of courts misunderstanding, let me let me uh, share this real quick. This is the decision from the Ninth Circuit in Young versus Hawaii that came out the other day, and that just is really a awful decision. These federal judges from the the liberal Ninth Circuit out in California really went through the history since Heller says that, you know, we have to look to the history of what firearms were in common ownership at the time of the Second Amendment, and that is going to tell us whether or not there's Second Amendment protection. They they really went through some bad history, and they named, like, every English gun control law that they could find. And I did a video on this back when it happened, but they this is so easily disprovable that they they make the point that there was no pre-existing right to bear arms outside of your house that you weren't there was no right to yeah maybe you could have one in your home because that's what Scalia wrote in Heller but we had no pre-existing right or natural right to to carry handguns concealed or out while we travel and it's just so wrong these are some of the things that I've highlighted from the decision where they say that, you know, common weapons, uh, you know, uh, you know, people couldn't carry arms around them if they're uncommon or they, they terrified other people that the public public carry was, was not threatening only if done by wealthy people, the desire for self-defense was not a good enough reason to go armed openly and that a man cannot excuse the wearing of such armor in public by alleging that somebody had threatened him and that for his safety, he wants to carry a gun. They go through all this really bad law. You know, early American colonists brought to the new world English sensibilities over the carrying of arms in public. The colonists shared the English concern that the mere presence of firearms in the public square presented a danger to the community. And New Jersey acted first. In 1686, the colony passed an act against the wearing of swords in, in public. And Massachusetts Bay then outlawed a fray, rioting and disturbing and breaching the peace. Then New Hampshire. Then, then of course, Virginia required people to wear arms publicly. But they go through all this law, this this false history that they say suggests that colonists brought with us this English acquiescence to firearm limitations that was outlawed, outlined in the statute of Northampton from like the 1300s in England. I mean, it's just complete malarkey. 
complete BS. And actually, I mean, there's, I think in reality, the English led the way in coming up with new ways of being better armed in public and having firearms that were more concealable. And I, I have, I mean, so many of these 18th century guns are just little flintlock pistols that were designed to be put in your pocket. You know, for instance, I have one here. Look, this is just a little one-shot flintlock pistol. You can see how big my hands are. I mean, you could stick the thing in your pocket, and that's what you did. You had it in your pocket, and if you had a problem, you stuck it right in somebody's gut or chest and pulled the trigger. It wasn't for hunting. It wasn't for anything else, and these were widespread. These were just your one shot that you had at self-defense to save your life. And, and I mean, they're just, they were widespread. You could get them in any design that you wanted. In fact, many designs, and this goes back early 18th century, like 1720s and 30s. You know, they had, I mean, this was, this was the style. And they would even put these gargoyle faces on the, the butt cap. And they had really elaborate designs. And these were a lot of these were English made. And then we started making them here. And as history progressed, we came up with just better and better ways at it being better armed when we're out on the road and in public. And we came out with like I've shown this before, these pepper boxes. Again, if you, you know, just make more barrels. And that's how you know history, firearms history progressed. And how does the sixth or the ninth circuit explain that they can't because American history and even English history before that was about being armed when you're out on the road, because, you know, life was dangerous. There were all these highwaymen and, and all that. So that's a battle. I think we're going to have to have to extend the second amendment outside the home because Heller, again, Heller only says that you have a right to have a handgun for self-defense inside the home. And it implies, or Scalia implies that, well, it's not, the issue isn't before us, but you, you're going to have to have a right to, to bear arms, which in public, you know, outside your home. But that issue wasn't yet before the court. And now the Ninth Circuit is has gone against that and said that, you know, there is no right to bear arms, you know, when you're traveling somewhere or outside your house. That's, that's basically what it says, but young versus state of Hawaii. I'm, I'm sure you read it, but people mm -hmm. should read this stuff to see kind of what, what we're up against. Oh yeah. And the other great case that came out that I also talked about was the case that the, that the GOA, the gun owners of America litigated. And that was out of the Sixth Circuit. Uh, the, the bump stock case? The bump stock case. Yeah, um, I, I assume that you had been following that case. Yeah, uh, one of my best friends was actually the guy who litigated it. <laughs> was that uh, Robert Olson? Yeah, Rob. Rob yeah. is, uh, is uh, like, he's, if not my best friend, one of my best friends. <laughs> so. Well, I'll tell you what, he's he is a, he's a fantastic lawyer. I mean, yeah. that's. One of the reasons I say, if you want to donate to the cause, if you want, if you want to donate some money to this fight against and this big fight that we're facing now, donate to the Gun Owners of America because they, I mean, they are fighting this fight and they have people like 
Rob Olson that who's know what believer, they're doing. Who's not in it for the money. He's in it because he is a 100% true believer. So let me bring up, I have that decision up here as well. Yeah, there it is. So, you know, the, for example, this is one of the great things that the GOA does is fight these fights in the courts. And you can see right here, look at the, look at the headline, Gun Owners of America. Gun Owners of America versus Merrick B. Garland. And this is the bump stock case. You know, and as you might remember, Trump threw bump stocks under the under bus, the, yep. under the bus. And the GOA fought for them. And why did they fight for them? Because it's always a slippery slope. I mean, if you let them come after bump stocks like like Trump was willing to do to, to sacrifice them to, to save the other rights. Well, we know that the, the leftists, they want to completely disarm us as they're admitting now, and confiscate our guns, literally. They're not going to stop with bump stocks. If you no. allow them to take bump stocks, they're going to continue on. Um, but basically, the this is a great opinion to read. Again, the Sixth Circuit case that just came out a couple of weeks ago, and that's where the eight... This is really... This is the, the fight right now because the ATF, part of the executive branch had been creating legislation, essentially. And that's what they did in this case, is they said, you know what? As you have new technologies like these bump stocks, we, we're going to, we can change our mind. We can just say, well, you know what? We think they're machine guns and therefore um, illegal for, for citizens to own without jumping through certain hoops. And that's what they did after you know a bunch of people had owned these things. And it wasn't Congress that said, all right, well, we're going to outlaw bump stocks. No, it was originally President Trump who directed the executive branch to do something about bump stocks after that shooting during the country music concert. And this is what they did. They outlawed bump stocks just by you know, changing their own interpretation of the definition. Do I, do I have that about right? Yeah, you, you have that exactly about right. Well, so, it's been nice talking to you, but my uh, son is a little bit sick. <laughs> I've been trying to send you messages. Oh, sorry. sorry. No. I, I always, I always tell John, John, and uh, <laughs> any other guests, like, look, when you need to go, I'll, yeah. I'll keep talking about this stuff for hours. You, no, go. no, okay. my son's just a little bit sick to 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 uh, to his son stomach. So. <laughs> well, you 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 go for it, John. I, I really appreciate having you on. I probably should have utilized the time better rather than just BSing about guns. But but come, come back again soon, please, and keep up yeah. the good work. And and tell uh, you know Rob that you know we we are really really grateful for for everything that he's doing. And if there's anything yeah. that the civil rights lawyer can do, um, yeah, just I'll, I'm a phone call away. Yeah, he knows who you are. He watches you, but I I try to get him on your show, but he's like, he's like, I'm not good at interviews, and I don't do interviews. <laughs> oh please, yeah right. So yeah, he, well, he, he talk him into it sometimes. Yeah, he kind of avoids all interviews. He doesn't like being in the spotlight. <laughs> I'm like Rob, well, you got you got to get out there, man. I'm like people, you know, people well, see you your know, name on these cases. He's like, yeah, I think but half the battle now is, you know, big tech 
and is not going to, and especially not the media, they're not going to let the real information get out there. You know, they're suppressing the truth, they're censoring the truth. So yeah, it, it's, you know, half the battle now is just really is, uh, you know, informing the public. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I'll come into I'll, it. I'll keep on working on them. All right, John. Well, I, I appreciate it. And right, thank uh, you. And thank you everyone out there for watching. Yeah. Come, come back soon, please. Anytime. Uh, oh, yeah. Whenever, whenever you need me, man, I'm back. All right. We'll, we'll definitely do it. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, you know, again, thanks for, for, you know, I'm glad that, that John came. I always like, like having him on and, if you're just joining us, you know, John is uh, part of the GOA, the Gun Owners of America, and he's, I think he runs the, the, the Virginia part of it specifically. And I had asked him the other day, well, you know, who is, you know, is, is who's, uh, I mean, they're sort of the up and coming really organization, you know, after the NRAs really dropped the ball. And I said, well, who is, you know, who's, who's running the, the West Virginia side? I, I need to talk to this person. We have, we have things to talk about here, you know, you know, work to do in West Virginia. And I think that somebody they they've, they've, they're getting somebody in position in West Virginia specifically. And that, that'll be great because West Virginia is, is going to be a, a great bastion of, of firearm rights that are, that are, you know, dropping off the, the, the end of the world and, and other States that just aren't going to exist. Um, but we still have to protect West Virginia and our other kind of Second Amendment sanctuaries from what the federal government is doing. And I believe specifically here in West Virginia, we just had a great bill. And thankfully, we've had the West Virginia Citizens Defense League just on the state level doing great work here in West Virginia. And they got their sort of a Second Amendment sanctuary bill passed through the West Virginia legislature. And it may be one of the only good things that the, the West Virginia legislature did this session. You know, as, as my friend Daniel Horowitz says that, you know, what is it about gun rights? You know, it's, 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 it's like the only thing that these legislators will stand up for. Like, yeah, I'm you know, defending your Second Amendment, defending gun rights. Yet at the same time, they've allowed our governor to rule our state as a dictator and to criminalize the breath of our children and to restrict, you know, every other liberty that, that possibly could exist, but not gun rights, you know, because they, they, they stand up for the second amendment. And the reason, the reason is, is because that's the one thing that we've done a good job at as far as grassroots is, is lobbying for ourselves, for our gun rights, because they're, you know, we've seen, especially in recent years, how important that is. And I think it's always been important in West Virginia. But look, just just now we're starting up again with this summer of, of rioting. And the, the crazy thing that we saw last year was all these police departments standing down and taking a knee and all this stuff while these while these hooligans burn private businesses you know, belonging to people of all colors and all ethnicities. And so it was proven to us last year that we cannot depend on the police to protect us. You know, or we might be able to, but who knows? It's been proven several times just last year that 
really a 17-year-old kid can come, you know, protect you, but the police won't. And then look what they do to the kid. So then they'll protect the police if they do anything, but they won't protect private citizens who are forced to take the law into their own hands, per se. Um, Jay Dunbar, thanks for the uh, the super chat there. And I appreciate you guys, you guys watching. No Fourth Amendment left. And <clears throat> I don't know if I said this, but one of the great things about the, the GOA, the Gun Owners of America, is that they recognize that the Fourth Amendment is so important to gun rights. I call it sort of like a white knight to the Second Amendment. Because as of now, of all the Supreme Court jurisprudence that we have from the beginning to the end, all the Supreme Court has been willing to give to us peasants is just a handgun in the home. They haven't given us an AR-15 in the home. They haven't given us a handgun outside the home. They've given us almost no Second Amendment rights yet. They've just implied that they will someday, or they might. In reality, most of the actual gun rights that we have are just more general Fourth Amendment rights. You know, the the right to not have the 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 police stop us and disarm us and run a background check to see if we have sufficient papers to be able to possess a firearm. You know, the U.S. versus Black from uh, 2013, that sort of thing. You know, what rights do you have when the, the, the police pull you over in your car or, or you're open carrying as a bystander? Those are all Fourth Amendment cases that are very important indirectly to gun rights. You know, they, they, they also protect, you know, whatever lawful behavior you're engaging in. But the GOA has recognized that and they've helped to litigate those or they have litigated those cases and helped to litigate those cases. I think they, they, well, I know they filed an amicus brief and that the case that was recently argued before the Supreme Court on whether or not there should be a so-called community caretaking exception to where police can enter your house without a warrant. And that's really scary. And if you haven't listened to Supreme Court arguments before, you know, they say never meet your heroes. Well, go listen to really any judicial case on gun rights, but Listen to the Supreme Court arguments, which you can find online. I've, I've posted them on the, the website before. And listen to the questions that the, the justices are asking the lawyers in that in that case. What is that called? Uh, Canigliari or something like that. It was just recently argued. And it's like, oh, man, this doesn't sound good. This doesn't, I mean, it doesn't sound like the Supreme Court is going to stop the police from coming in our house without a warrant based on this so-called community caretaking exception, which had never existed before is if you listen to the, the, the concerns of the justices, they're like, well, what if there's an elderly person inside that's fallen, you know, shouldn't they be allowed to go inside and they're just completely missing the point. And so it, I don't know. It all goes back to, we shouldn't have to depend on the Supreme court, because that our founders de- designed our constitution in such a way as to protect us from tyrants, separation of powers, so that no one person or small group of people can get enough power to act as a tyrant, because they will, they always will. 
and then also giving the states these federalist principles that also separates power in a different way and keeps like West Virginia a sovereign state with the general plenary powers and police powers that the feds cannot cannot take away from us. And that's exactly what's happening right now with Joe Biden issuing these executive orders that there's not even support for in Congress. And mind you, that is held by the Democrats pretty much in both houses. And there's not even the political capital there to pass this gun control that he wants. So instead, he's going to do it by executive order using the ATF. Now, fortunately, fortunately, going back to that case we just looked at, that Sixth Circuit case that the GOA got for us, that is exactly what they were fighting against, fighting against agencies, these nameless, faceless bureaucracies in the bowels of Washington, D.C., being able to declare certain things or accessories unlawful. No. The Constitution says in Article 1, Paragraph 1, Sentence 1, Word 1, that all legislative power resides in Congress. Therefore, no legislative power resides in the president or any part of the executive branch. They just enforce the laws that Congress pass. And we've gotten that backwards. So now the ATF gets to do its own thing when the president tells them to. And yet, who are we to complain to? Talk about no taxation without representation. We don't have representation for anything anymore. It's just the executive branch with some nameless person that we've never elected. We don't know who they are creating new laws, absolutely creating new laws. And now we're getting even more, even more conditioned to it in the age of, I don't even know if I should say it because they'll probably flag the video now if they had, well, if they hadn't flagged it already. I mean, hell, we had pictures of Nazi machine guns already, but you know, the COVID restrictions, the COVID fascism, we're being conditioned to the rule of, of an executive branch. For instance, in, in, in West Virginia, you know, we're told that, all right, even using the principles of federalism, that states have general police powers and that therefore governors have these just broad emergency powers. And so yet I ask, well, where does that come from? Where does that come from? We have a state constitution. And it says nothing about emergency powers. To the contrary, it says this state constitution will never be suspended. Not It, it remains in effect alike in a time of peace or a time of war. It mentions nothing about being suspended under any circumstances. It mentions nothing about emergency powers or pandemics, or anything like that. The only authorization our governor, and I'm not speaking for other states, but I think they're pretty much the same, the only authorization they have is not some broad police power. It is a statute enacted by your, your state legislature called the Emergency Power Statute. And so the governor can only exercise the powers that the Emergency Power Statute says that they can exercise. However, no legislature 
whether on a state level or in regards to Congress, can delegate its core powers away. Congress, because Congress wants to, they can't delegate any legislative power to a president. That would violate the Constitution. That's what the Supreme Court's supposed to be doing, is striking stuff like that down. No state legislature with separation of powers and their constitution, such as West Virginia, can delegate their legislative power. And there was actually a case here in West Virginia where the West Virginia Supreme Court struck down a, a program or a statute that the West Virginia legislature had voluntarily passed that gave like the Board of Pharmacy the ability to create new criminal misdemeanors having to do with prescription drugs. And the, the West Virginia Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. Even if our idiot legislature wants to give their powers away to the executive branch, they're not allowed to do it. That violates the state constitution that has an expressed separation of powers. So we need to get back to, on the state level and the federal level, just following the basic rules that we were given by our founders, our state founders and our federal founders. And it's the inherent structure there that keeps power from amassing in, in the one individual or group of individuals. But we've ignored that. And, and that's what we have now is Joe Biden going after whatever the cause celeb is for the gun control advocates, whether it's bump stocks or whether it's pistol braces or binary triggers. And the one thing you can be sure of, if, if they're allowed to do it, whatever they're going after today, whether binary triggers or whatever, it's going to be something else tomorrow. They're never going to stop. They're never going to stop. <laughs> I'm just here for the banjo. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I probably, I, I heard that Robert George, the constitutional law guru and law professor that I was talking about on Monday did a live video today, somebody emailed me, and that he was playing the banjo. So I think that is a sign. I think that is a sign that that we must have something in common. Laziest, uh, no amendment is absolute, shall not be infringed, seems pretty absolute to me. The Biden administration is tyrannical. Now, it's true that no amendment is, you know, there forever necessarily in the context that, well, amendments can be changed. We could have a convention of states. We could strike down amendments. We could change amendments. So, yeah, without following the process, they're pretty, they're, they are absolute. There's no other way of getting rid, rid of them without following the process. You can't have a Supreme Court say that, oh, well, Second Amendment violates the Constitution because it is the Constitution. The only way of changing the Constitution, and this is a great point, the only way, the only constitutional way of changing the Constitution, for instance, getting rid of the Second Amendment for those who are against the Second Amendment, is to follow the process that our founders gave us. And I think it is Article 5 of the Constitution of calling a convention of the states and revoking, rescinding, whatever you call it, the Second Amendment, or changing it in some way. That's how it's done. That's the process, and, and all of our states are supposed to be involved. 
because that was the deal when we agreed to, to join the union. But now they're trying to do it through other means, either through the Supreme Court or through Congress or through the executive branch. All of those would be constitutional, unconstitutional. But they can't even get it through Congress. And they haven't they haven't been able to get it through through the Supreme Court. It's heading slowly, slowly in the other direction. So they've they've taken the only thing that they have where, where they can attack the Second Amendment and try to do it through executive orders and through the the ATF. And really, it, it just looks like persecution. They're persecuting their political enemies. They're trying to disarm their their political enemies. Gunny, not even DeSantis would stop local governments from enacting mask rules, let alone anything else. Everyone passes the buck to disguise broken promises. And isn't that the same reason that Trump was not able to get any traction in the courts following what was obviously a very, very problematic election? Regardless of what side you're on, there were all sorts of issues not the least of which was separation of powers or, or lack thereof, where you had secretaries of state and executive branches changing what it was only the province of the legislatures of changing, and that is the election laws. But because it was COVID and a state of emergency, then it just had to be done. And how many months after the state of emergency was that, that these election laws were changed? And how many months are we now afterwards? 13 months or so? How can you have a state of emergency, by definition, that lasts 13 months, even through a legislative session? It absolutely is, is the very definition of tyranny. It's what our founders warned against, letting one man or one small group of men or women amass this power. They, As our founders warned us, they will, they will always become tyrants. Uh, mobile mechanics. I don't think Morrissey knew we had a constitution until Biden started talking about guns. He's talking about our, our attorney general in West Virginia. Well, you know, he just demonstrates or illustrates rather the problem with any of our politicians. You know, they want to be strong on the second amendment and that's great. They should be, but how, I, I don't understand it. How can you be strong on the second amendment but not strong on every other amendment or the constitution itself. I mean, the second amendment is, is an amendment. Article one of the constitution is article one of the constitution. And it says all legislative power is in Congress alone. Well, I mean, why would you support the second amendment, but you support the executive branch at any level issuing legislation? All it says to me is that they, they're telling, they're picking an issue that they know is popular with the people and easy to defend, but yet they're avoiding the, the very tough job and the real responsibility that is on their shoulders of, of protecting our, our way of life. Our, our, our government itself. They, they've just, they've, they've thrown the entire document into the lake. What can the West Virginia governor not do now? Not just this governor, but any other governor, unless he stopped. What can he not do to us? 
what can he do that we could say, no, he can't do that. Only the legislature can do that. Nothing. He can do anything he wants, anywhere he wants in the state, at any time he wants. And there's nothing anybody is going to do about it because we've set a precedent. We've allowed it to happen. Uh, bootlicker. Sometimes I wish I didn't know all this. Should have taken the blue pill and stayed in the matrix. Well, you know, that we can look back to history. I, I think there, there were a lot of people that it was easier for them to just keep their mouth shut. And if you look at Europe, 1930s, it was not just easier, but life-saving probably to, to just keep your mouth shut and uh, watch what was going on. And, you know, after a certain point, there's, there's no stopping it without risking your life and the lives of your families. And look at where we are now in just 13 months time. Where will we be in another 13 months? Where could we be depending just on the mere whim of some of the ruling class, some of the governors? Metal Mocha. That's a pretty sweet name. The Constitution only has meaning if we the people back it may require sacrifice and many people just fold. Tabby's daddy, they keep adding to the paper. If you love the paper, love it all. And as I said on Monday, you know, the Soviet Union on paper had a wonderful constitution that sounded great. It had all sorts of rights, but it was just paper. It meant nothing because in practice, it, you know, they, they didn't follow it. It wasn't enforceable. It was a joke. And we're, we're pretty quickly heading to that. Uh, we need to talk about Sandy Hook documentary, not on GoogTube. Gunny, look how the officer won't, won't be charged with the murder of Ashley Babbitt. Yeah, Ashley Babbitt was the female um, Trump supporter that was in the Capitol that was shot to death. Really the only casualty to violence of the so-called insurrection was an unarmed middle-aged blonde woman. I don't remember if she, if she was, uh, if she had any kids, but she was married. I mean, obviously, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's disgraceful and she's been ignored and, you know, whether or not she, she deserves some form, form of punishment for what she did do, you know, anyone, no one could say honestly that she deserved what happened to her. So the same people that are calling for the heads of any police officer that shoots, shoots any black person in this country are the same people that support the murder of Ashley Babbitt. So you can't, you can't say that you, you, you want freedom for some people and not for some other group of people. I mean, that, that is guaranteeing that there's freedom for no group of people. The constitution can only end in despotism when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of the other. And that is sort of what I had talked about on Monday that professor or Dr. George had said is that, you know, our founding fathers at the very beginning 
they chose a republic and that was a difficult choice because at, up to that point in history, the history of republics was, was not a good one. You know, all of the republics really that had been tried had failed disastrously. You know, they'd ended up in a really, really despotic, you know, tyrannies, dictatorships, basically. It was much more stable to go with some sort of monarchy like England and France had. And George Washington would have been an ideal candidate for that. And there was, there was real, uh, a lot of people were, were wanting to go that route. But our, our founders decided to try this experiment. And the whole, the, the whole structure of our government was to make the experiment less likely to fail by just spreading the power out very loosely with separation of powers between the branches and, and the principles of federalism with all the states. And we've completely allowed that to, to just go away. I saw multiple videos, the Ashley Babbitt shooting, shooting was justified. Anyone in the same position as the officer would have done the same thing. I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that any shooting, I mean, you'd have, you'd be hard pressed to prove to me that shooting any unarmed person was justified. You know, up until that point, I mean, you had people armed with, with flags and signs that, that came in there. So the, the only justification for shooting her would have been, would have been the preservation of property. There was nobody's life that was in jeopardy from Ashley Babbitt, maybe property. So, you know, they were destroying property. I don't know what she specifically did or did not do, but that was a shooting to protect property. Now, us peasants are not allowed to do that, except in Texas under some circumstances, from my understanding, at night. You know, we're not allowed to, you know, if we see a guy breaking into our car here in West Virginia in the middle of the night, we're not to, allowed to stick our AR out the window and shoot the person. The electric company is not allowed to leave a electric line that's in disuse electrified for the sole purpose of electro electrocuting a, a robber. That is a basic principle of, of our law in pretty much every state in the country that you can't use deadly force to protect property. And that is pretty much, in my opinion, what happened with Ashley Babbitt. So if you could prove to me that somebody's life was in danger, either the shooter or some other person, then yeah. I can see some circumstance where you have a mob of people coming after you, say Kyle Rittenhouse, say you have a mob of people coming at you and it's reasonable belief to you that they are going to kill you or seriously injure you based on what you have observed or seen them do to other people. Uh, I can see that happening. I don't equate what happened to Ashley Babbitt is that sort of situation. You know, it was more of, I mean, it just wasn't. They, they, they hadn't, from what anything I've seen, really attacked anybody inside the Capitol. It was all destruction of property or just people who had walked in. Now, if they were trying to force their way into the Senate chamber, which I believe is maybe where that took place, you know, all they had to do was just leave the Senate chamber. And there are other ways of, 
of you know remedying that situation. I I don't. It's 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 a tough it's a tough situation. Definitely is, but we would be judged by the standards of whether there was a reasonable apprehension of death or great bodily injury when we pulled the trigger. This guy, you know, I don't know what he said. I haven't seen the words of you know, what the shooter said, but I, I, I can't imagine it. How about you keep your hands out where we can see them and get out of the car while you're strapped in with a seatbelt? Which one you want to try? Yeah, I, I did that video already. Um, I've argued with quite a few cops on, on the internet about that one as well. Lion watched documentaries about tyranny and philosophies of Noam Chomsky. This conformity and collectivism is sickening. All right. Here's your argument. The officer had no way of knowing that she was unarmed because she was wearing a loose hoodie. Well, was that reasonable under the circumstances to think that that she may have been armed? You know, she's wearing a loose hoodie. Okay, so under the same analysis that police officers are judged and that citizens are judged, <clears throat> it has to be reasonable. So the analysis they have for police officers are the gram factors. So the severity of the crime that the person is suspected to have committed before, i.e. the dangerousness. What did they know about the person? The only thing I believe he would have known about Ashley Babbitt is that she was one of the protesters who came into the Capitol. And, and he would have believed that she entered unlawfully. Other than that, specifically, I don't, was he able to say that he saw her committing any violence? If he was, then, then maybe, maybe it would be reasonable for him to assume that she might, she might be armed in her loose hoodie. Um, also the, the standards that we, we judge police officers with the gram factors, all right, severity of crime, that's the dangerousness factor. We have uh, we have the one I always forget whether they're actively evading or resisting arrest. That doesn't really apply to that sort of a situation. So was she under arrest and actively resisting um, being arrested? I think she was on the other side of the door, right? So there there was no arrest in progress. Maybe he would say that that she was disobeying orders to to stop or to 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 turn around, something like that. And uh, the, it really comes down to the last factor, which I think was the important factor in the other video, um, Jim, that you're talking about, the, the Norfolk one from the other day. And that comes down to whether there was an immediate threat of somebody's physical safety. That's what it's going to come down to. It's what it should come down to. Was there a reasonable belief that the officer who was the shooter or somebody else was an immediate threat of physical safety you know, that was sufficient to justify the application of deadly force. And for the reasons I already said, I, I don't think so. I mean, they, they, uh, they, you know, it's not their house. It's not like they have a castle doctrine or stand your ground law. I mean, they could have just left that room. You know, did they have somebody in that room that they believed their life was in danger? They couldn't just leave like they did in the house chamber. Like, Pelosi did or whatever, or they did with, with the vice president. No, no, they, I mean, they drew a line on the sand, I think, and they 
shot somebody to death to stop them from coming in that house or the uh, that chamber. So I don't think that that would, you know, if if that if those are the facts that you have with a police officer shooting in any blue state in the country or any blue city in the country, I think we'd have riots and politicians virtue signaling. But because it was a Trump supporter in the Capitol, it's a different standard. Um, Janet, hello. Fred Johnson. When issues of unconstitutionality are not challenged for long enough, it is though consent to proceed in that manner is expressly implied. And Fred, do you know what what precedent they've relied on for all of this this COVID fascism? You know what it is? It's it's the Jacobson case from the early 1900s vaccine case. That's what they relied on. There was really no there was no precedent for it. Isn't that scary that, that that's what they used to really just boom, to take all this power and, and, and take the freedom away from people. And once it's gone, it's gone. And now they have all sorts of other precedents of, that in turn relied on Jacobson. And a funny thing is, is that I read a 2008 study that was co-authored by my favorite uh, doctor, Dr. Fauci where he discusses the pandemic of the Spanish flu in 1918. And then the one that happened in like the, the forties and 60, 1968, I think it was. And they're planning for how to deal with the next pandemic in the United States. They go over all the different things that could be done in preparation. And do you know what was not mentioned a single time in that article? Again, it's from 2008. They didn't mention masks at all. It wasn't even mentioned. To the contrary, they they mentioned that they had dug up these soldiers that were killed in the Spanish flu and they ran some tests on them and they realized that they didn't actually die from the virus. They died from secondary bacterial infection. Now, we know that the Spanish flu is really the only pandemic from the 20th century where masks were in widespread use. Now, they didn't state that, and you're not allowed to even ask the question now, but did the fact that they were making these homemade masks that were probably as dirty as our masks, masks are now, did that have something to do with the, the bacterial infe infections developing in, in people's throats and going into their lungs, which was, which was killing them? I don't know. You know. Hopefully, we don't find out one day that a lot of the COVID deaths were due to bacterial infection caused by forcing people to wear these dirty masks. They got off the floor of their car or off their, their rear view mirror, you know, and, and, and unlike the, the Spanish flu, you know, the, we were conditioned and forced to wear them, but you know, that's not, that's not really what this video is about. Uh, Bible prophecy news. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Uh, Frandy Weaver would have just complied, then yeah, his family would still be alive today. Um, Karen, so true. Many are learning now. Not all gone. Still written. Senator Mike Lee is trying to save our hearing by loosening suppressor transfer red tape. Absolutely. The, the, the funny thing is getting back on the gun rights subject is there are places in Europe where like you can go into a store and just buy a suppressor. 
Whereas in the United States, it's this big deal. And the fact is, is that it, you know, it, yeah, it, it's like a safety device. It, it, it can save people's hearing. I mean, how many people have tinnitus due to fire, you know, being in the military or, or just firing a lot of firearms. And I have just ringing in my ears constantly. Uh, suppressors could have, have fixed that. Uh, back to Ashley Babbitt. Many people stopped trying to break in after the cop issued orders. The cop couldn't see them because of his cover. He could only see her, and she decided to start climbing in, so he shot her. Well, if that was his explanation, then, you know, I think he he proved the 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 case against him that he acted unreasonably. You know, one of the one of the rules that everybody knows that they're they're taught from a, a, the time of of childhood around firearms is that you don't you don't fire at what you can't see. And, and not only do you have to know what your target is that you're shooting at, you got to know what's behind your target. Every kid that's taken hunting is taught this lesson. You don't shoot at a noise in in the bush that you think might be a deer. And so it sounds like this guy was shooting at a deer bush. And he didn't even know what was behind his deer bush. And there have been cops who who have done this before. And I have a video out there you can watch of a police officer shooting my client through his front door. And it, you know, the, the fact is, is it's pretty tough to claim that somebody is a a threat, an immediate threat when you can't see them, when you can't see them. Now, if he had some indication that that somebody had a, a, a firearm and they were shooting through, I mean, that's different. If they're shooting at you through the, the wall or the window, that's different. But nobody was shooting. Nobody was shooting. I don't know of even any guns that were involved in that whatsoever. So, I mean, I think that's, I think that's a tough road to hoe. And it's just the fact that it was an insurrectionist Trump supporter that was killed and that it happened in the Capitol. That is what is, is getting him out of trouble. All right. Read back what, what you said. Let me see. Well, I think I read what you said. Said she was breaking down the door with about six other people. She helped smash the window. All right. All right. Miss this one. She helped smash the window. The cop had his gun out, was barking orders, but was in cover. Many people stopped trying to break in after the cop issued orders. And I'm not excusing her breaking the window if that's what she did. You know, we have a punishment on the books for breaking windows in the Capitol. Okay, she could have been arrested and prosecuted. But the fact is, is she was executed on site and she wasn't a threat to anybody's life at all. I mean, she just wasn't. And I mean, without without some sort of safety threat to this officer or somebody else that's substantial, I, that's just not that's just not a good shoot, in my opinion.
And so the people that are arguing that that was a good shoot, do you think that they are supportive of Joe Biden's executive orders to try to enable gun confiscation from our homes to try to disarm us? Do you think that they celebrate that this off this officer had, you know, a second amendment right, a natural right of self-defense? The fact that the fact that he was armed? No, I, I, I don't think so. Tabby's daddy just asked the native Americans what they think about paper. You know, the, the, the weird thing is you think that that would be a great example of what happens when a government disarms their people. But some of the Native Americans that I know are like some of the most left-wing progressive gun grabbers that you've ever met. Why? I don't know. It's the same, it's the same thing with, you know, how many, how many Jewish Americans are diehard, you know, left-wing progressives. You would think that the the lessons of history have taught them the importance of of the self, self uh, Second Amendment and, and the right of self defense and and the importance of freedom. But for some reason, you, you I mean, you're overwhelmingly um, Democrat or or, or progressive. I, I don't know why. It, it the only explanation is you know a guy that I used to listen on the radio when I lived in North Carolina. What was his name? Um, Michael Savage. What is it that he used to say? Don't don't try to understand it because the only this is the answer. Liberalism is a mental disorder. That's it. That's the only explanation for it. Um, appreciate you guys watching. It's about that time. Several people have asked for for uh, banjo. I guess I could get the banjo going as I as I bring this thing to a close. And yeah, I appreciate you coming. This good discussion. I always like discussing gun stuff. And I wish in hindsight that I had used our time more wisely with John Crump and gotten into more of, of strategy of what the GOA is doing. But he'll be back again soon, I hope. And you know, it'd be great if he'd bring Rob Olson with him because that guy is that guy's fantastic lawyer. And he is a re one of the reasons why if you're going to donate to the gun rights fight. You know, don't send your money to the NRA. And there's probably other good groups out there, but the GOA, I mean, they are on the front lines and proof is in the pudding. Look at that six six circuit bump stock case. That has the language that not only defeats the ATF with bump stocks, but it defeats them also with everything Biden is asking them to do, to go around Congress to try to outlaw certain things that Congress hasn't outlawed. can't play a whole lot anymore uh, because of my my arthritis until my hands get warmed up enough but probably play uh, Cripple Creek Thank you.
That's about it. It's uh, 8.39 here on Wednesday, and appreciate you guys here uh, talking with me. And, and uh, you know, stay tuned. I've got a big case of getting ready to file, and I think I'll – well, I anticipate doing a video on this. And, again, like I said on Monday, no one's heard about this case, and it has – well, I'll just leave it at that. So make sure you're subscribed to see – you know, the new video that, that's going to be coming out. It won't be a live video, I don't think. Um, but until then, thanks for hanging out. And uh, I'll see you live again um, if the creeks don't rise on Monday. <laughs>